If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Law, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NDI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. everybody and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host Bob Ruff and I am joined today in the studio of course by our executive producer Mr. Mike Bussing. Thanks for having me again Bob. (laughs) You work here. You work here. It's a pleasure to make time out of my day to come down here and record a podcast with you. Well you're welcome. And uh, the other uh, uh, laughing voice you hear over there is Mr. Zach Weaver. Ahoy. Uh, Zach is, of course, the host of the Made Us podcast, another NBI show. Uh, and he's been joining us to represent you, the listeners, on our Friday follow-up episodes. Zach, what do you got going on this week with, for the episode that would have dropped yesterday? Yesterday. Now? So yesterday's episode, um, I deal with a cancer survivor who happened to be a testicular cancer survivor. And when we go through that, that whole topic, it's a hard topic to talk about. But it's one of those topics that that men really need to talk about mm-hmm. and don't. Right. So we're trying to kind of broach that and and put it out there. I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Of course, we're recording this prior to its drop, so we yep. haven't heard it yet. Uh, we do have, I know Mike said you, we have a ton of questions from the listeners this week and That's some true. theories. Yep, scoured social media and we've got a lot to get to. Okay, and but real quick, before we get to those questions, I do want to mention, I forgot to mention last week. As you guys heard a few weeks ago, our season four case, Mr. George Powell's conviction has been vacated. Uh, he should be coming home very soon. And I wanted to encourage you all to donate to a transition fund that's been created for George Powell in much the same way that we did for Ed A's before he went home. Remember, he's going home with nothing. Uh, his fiance Tamara, is, is, can't wait to get him home, but there's a lot to do and there's a lot of expenses. Uh, I think uh, from what I was told by Tamara, uh, George wants to start like a fencing company. So he's looking for some tools and a vehicle and things like that. Uh, the Unfortunately, the link for that GoFundMe is not a simple link for me to give you. It's it's uh, a bunch of numbers and letters. So the best thing to do if you want to donate to help George Powell transition home when he's finally released from prison, go to the Free George Powell Facebook page. Uh, there's, a, there's a nice Facebook page that Tamara's put together called Free George Powell. On that page, there are links to the GoFundMe, and so I'd encourage you all to donate to that, and uh, I know Tamara and George would very much appreciate it, and so would I. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. 
From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move into these questions. Hold on. Before we get to the questions, are we going to talk about Jeff Pilo? Uh, it, well, uh, we can. It wasn't in the script. Well, what do you, well, yeah, we'll do it right now. What do you, what do you want to talk about Jeff Pilo? Are you kidding me about this guy? Uh, no. Like, this, this guy is a serial rapist? Yeah. You know, once once the episode came out, mm-hmm. I did a little research on it. That's crazy. The dude is sadistic as hell. Yeah, it's bad. And yeah, I was reading about it. I didn't want to get too deeply into it in the main episode because I didn't want to distract from the topic, but here's a good time. Surprisingly, I don't think you have any questions about Pilo. Not this week. So good you brought that up. But yeah, so the, the details are from what I was reading, so you may have done more research even than me, uh, is that he would use his police computer to stalk these women. Yeah. Yep, he would he would run their plates, find out where they live, he would follow them, stalk them, and then would break into their homes when they were alone. And it was like Terry and he was he was very he wore you know gloves and masks and did everything he could do to not get identified, not leave any forensics, and then was just brutal, brutal sexually yeah. assault yeah. these these poor women. And then he would make them get into a bathtub for hours and scrub themselves to try to get rid of any physical evidence. Now, did you see how they they originally kind of got him on the radar or caught him? They, one of the women thought she was being stalked. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt someone that was outside. She called the police. The police show up. He's there outside. Right. And the responding officer is like, oh, cool. Pilo's here. Right. Yeah. And they're like, wait. He's not supposed to be here. <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. and that was, that was exactly the... Um, the way it started, that that officer said that he was like, "Oh, oh, it's just Jeff," yeah. and he's like, "Wait a minute, why is Jeff here?" And then they they arrested him. Yeah, and then they started looking through his computer that he had in his squad car and found that all of these other rape victims, they found all the all the spots where he was he was searching them and tracking them and doing all the stuff. And then, uh, of course, he was wearing a mask, but apparently he has like big bright blue eyes, and that's how the women identified him. Um, I don't know all the details of the trial, but yeah, he was sentenced to 440, 440 years. That was actually lowered, I think, a couple of years later, a higher court. Something about the sentencing was not, it was was over the top sentencing. Okay. So so now he's only serving 375 years. I was floored when that came out, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and he actually, we're going to get into it, uh, obviously, we're not even to the part where uh, the man, the guy's name is Jamie Snow, that was that was convicted of this crime was arrested, but when we get to that, you know, Pilo was one of the guys that, you know, he actually wrote a letter to Jamie, you know, really? making clear that, you know, after he was, I think they were in the same unit together at some point, making clear that he did not see anyone else in that parking lot at, at that time. Because because Danny Martinez, I'm sure you all have figured out by now, Danny Martinez actually was a major player in convicting Snow by by identifying him as the person, absolutely the person that he saw coming out of that store. Uh, and, and Pilo, after the after the trial, wrote Jamie and said, "Dude, I was right there. There was nobody there." But I'm I'm sure that is a topic that we're going to be getting into. Most definitely. All right. So let's go ahead with the rest of these. All right. Our first question comes from Michael. The no sale transactions are really bothering me. The only reason to hit a no sale is to open the register without recording a transaction. Why would you do that? Really, only one legitimate reason. Say a customer pays a three dollar price with a ten dollar bill. The cashier accidentally gives the customer back $2, but forgets to give them the $5 bill. You hit the no sale button to open the drawer to get the $5. All right, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, first of all, there are 
it's a good point, but there are also many more reasons at the no sale. I know a little bit about this because I actually used to own a restaurant and we had one of these types of cash registers. You have one yep. at the at the shop, yep, right? We the, sure do with the no, the no sale button, and uh, and the rest it's, it's probably a little different with you guys the way your transactions work at the restaurant it was very similar to this constant customers coming in, and that was our, our employees were not allowed to hit the no sale without an explanation as to why they hit the no sale. Um, because that's that's a common way to steal stuff. Yeah. Right. You, you shouldn't be opening the drawer without uh, t- taking money out. And so you know, we would go through the tape, and if we saw a bunch of no sales, then we would audit where we would take the tickets, and then compare the tickets to the actual tape to see you know if if it adds up. And and if there were no sales, almost always, then you'd find out that that, that there was money missing. What so, what one of our particular employees did, they were real good because they didn't want the. It was a small kind of family place. And they didn't want the customers to realize what they were doing, so they would bring them their ticket, and they would do is they would punch all the the amounts into the register, so they'd be you know four ninety five and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. They would hit all these amounts, and then instead of hitting total, which would open the drawer, instead of hitting total, they would hit no sale. So they hit all these buttons, and the no sale just voided all that out yeah. and opened the drawer. So and then our- they would take their money, give them their change, and then pocket the money, and they would keep track of. It's, I mean, it's a lot to do, but they were they would keep track of. Okay, that was a ten dollar bill, and they gave me a twenty, so I'm going to take the twenty. Give them their ten, and I'm going to pull another ten out and put it in my pocket because the the total. Because a normal day at the end of the day, you just hit like the total, and it shows this is how much should be in the drawer. Yeah, with with our register, the the cash button and the no sale button are the same button. So if there's nothing punched in and you hit the button, it'll come up as a no sale. Okay. But if there's anything punched in, it'll come up as a cash a, a cash transaction. Gotcha. So when you do a cash transaction on your, I, I guess it doesn't matter. I was going to ask if they punched up the actual amounts in or they just hit cash and just exchange. Yeah, they punch the number in and hit, hit okay. the cash, yeah. Uh, but as far as this is concerned, I, I I don't think that's the case because, you know, which is what Michael here was saying is that, you know, somebody came in and paid for something and you gave them the wrong chain, so then you hit the no sale to open it back up. The problem is that there's not a sale right before that. We know Gutierrez was in there at that time. We know he bought precisely $3 in gas. He even explained how he paid for it, two $1 bills and four quarters. There's no $3 entry in there. There's the the entry for the cigarettes right before that, you know, a minute before it. But nothing so so it, it couldn't be that he gave Gutierrez the wrong change because there's not a three dollar sale in there to mm-hmm. begin with. Uh so I think that it's it's far more likely that he just hit the no sale button to open the drawer, took his three bucks and got him out of there. Okay, and Richard says, could Martinez have seen the door of the gas station from a window in his house? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Maybe he had the angle. The problem there is, so Martinez's house was to the east of the gas station, and it was obviously it was out closer to the road. So if you're facing the gas station, the gas station's on your left, and then his house is on the right, and and his house on the right is set further out towards the road. So you did have an angle, and the door to the gas station was on the left side of the building, facing the front, but towards the left. Did have an angle there, but you also had the problem where. The windows to the right of the gas on the whole right side were completely boarded up because a car had driven through the week before. So where you normally could look and have a view through those windows, I would say absolutely you could see through from Martinez's house with those windows boarded up. I don't think you could probably see in and the the door is set back just a little bit. But you could you could certainly see somebody walking out and walking across the front of that building from his house. All right, Lisa wants to know, are there any thoughts on Danny, the friend, saying that Bill didn't want him to leave? She says, do you think there's more to that than just something innocent, such as not wanting to be bored? Or maybe he was getting afraid of being robbed? Or maybe something even more sinister? 
No, I mean, we can speculate on what we th- think happened. I, I don't know. It's it's just, it's so hard because think of an 18-year-old yourselves when you were 18. You know, it very well could be that, you know, you just, dude, I'm bored, stay, stick around. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, I'm worried, you know, don't go anywhere. I mean, there, it could, there's no way to know without talking to Danny Hartley. I think Danny Hartley in later interviews suggested that it was more that, that Dan, that Bill was worried about something, mm-hmm. you know, kind of where he, like he feels bad that he didn't stay because Bill wanted him to stay. But I don't know. I do have um, some leads after last week's episode. Hopefully I'll be able to get a hold of Danny Hartley to learn a little bit more about Bill. Some people have come to me that said that, that they know him. They know where he's at. And, and I think we've got somebody that's going to try to reach out to him to see if he's willing to talk to me about it. Cause I would love to know the answer to that without, us just speculating about it. I I think as a listener, I think Danny Hartley is a key piece to this puzzle. Getting in contact with him would be huge to help this case. I think. I think so too. I mean, it, it, for starters, it'll be a a huge help to our victimology. Um, I do have some more information on victimology. We're going to discuss Sunday. uh, That's going to shed a little more light into it. Um, But yeah, I mean, he was there right then. And and there's a lot of confusion. We're going to get into this weekend too, about, uh, between him and the other people that were with him and the statements he gave and some differing times and things like that. It's just, it's all very confusing. So I would like, so I'm, I'm only able to listen to right now recorded interviews where someone else is asking the questions, which is, I'm sure you know, is frustrating because I'm like, well, ask him this. Yeah. And it's frustrating too because you can tell the detectives are, they want to convict the guy they've arrested. And so they you know, their, their whole purpose, you heard it, you could hear with Gutierrez too. It wasn't to really see what Gutierrez knew because Gutierrez gave a composite sketch that cannot be Jamie Snow, who was the guy that was convicted. It can't be. And I, I posted on the fan page kind of a side by side. It's one of those things where at a glance you can say, oh, look, they both have long hair and they and, and mm-hmm. Jamie has a mustache and stuff. But you got to understand how the composite drawings are created. You know, so like the mustache on the guy in the in the composite drawing, and and oh, and by the way, too, I just got an email today from Katie Ross. Our website is finally back up. She's been revamping the whole thing. That's why there's been no season seven case docs up. That should be up now, so you can check out our website for some of these pictures and things. But anyway, when the, when those are the composite sketches are done, they don't just say, "Well, describe the guy to me." And they write him. They ask him very specific questions, like, "What about his nose? Does his nose look like this?" And they, and then they have like options, like, "Here's some noses. Which one does it look like? What about cheekbones?" What about the mustache? Well, what you see in the in the picture of, of Jamie, he's got one of those mustaches that just like like um, for those for those of you on video, you can see I have a very full mustache when I grow my and so does Zach when the, when I grow my mustache out, it grows all the way across. Uh, but Jamie has the type of mustache where if you can imagine, you know, it kind of only grows a little bit on each side. You know, it's not full all the way across. There's a spot in the middle where no hair grows. Yeah. It's thin. Um, whereas the mustache on the perp that uh, the composite that was drawn from Gutierrez is. The guy had kind of a of a a full upper lip and a and a full mustache that was that was full and and consistent across the whole mustache area. So those are those are significant details. The nose, Jamie has a very round nose at the end, and this guy's nose was drawn to be very long, and it's even in the drawing a little bit crooked, a long kind of more pointy nose, a little bit crooked. And then the big thing is the cheekbones. Jamie had kind of chubby cheeks, and this guy they they made a, a point in the composite drawing to show. The guy had the, you know, almost a skeletal type of uh, facial structure, you know, where he's got the the strong cheekbones and then a very thin face, mm-hmm. you know, around the cheeks. And then, of course, there's the scar and the earring. Um, so, so the point being, when the police were interviewing Gutierrez, they didn't want 
Gutierrez to be a good witness. Because if he was if he was there at 805 and saw this man in the store right there, right before Bill was killed, and that guy's description matches the description of the guy that Danny Martinez saw 15 minutes later leaving the building, well, then it couldn't be the guy they arrested. So that you hear them, they're kind of walking him back. Oh, okay, you, know, I'll, I'll, you hear him say, I'll help you. I'll help you. So it was about this. And it was... It was about seven. It was. It must have been earlier in the day, and you know they they kind of back him away. Oh, it was a scar. It was a scar. Or was it a fresh cut? You know. So we're hearing all that stuff later. But that's the issue. Is all the recorded interviews we have all took place in 1999 after an arrest was made, and the police very very clearly had an agenda at that point. So they weren't asking the right questions. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Karen says if Billy was shot twice, did Martinez's car backfire twice? Is that why he was going back and forth? Well, this is a good time to talk about those backfires because Zach also, as a hobby, is uh, uh, a professional, but a competitive shooter. Yeah. Target shooting. You do uh, three-gun shooting. So you're very familiar with firearms. I am I am moderately familiar with firearms because I've had this discussion with a couple other people, and they're like, well, there's no way that Bill could have been shot with Officer Pilo across the street. So to begin with, to answer that question, in Martinez's original police statement, he said that he heard the two pops while he was filling his tire. Uh, I believe it was while he was filling, before he started walking back in. Thought it must have been a backfire. In my opinion, I think he heard a sound that was foreign. And the only thing, you know, your brain will try to, it'll tr- it's going to try to make sense of things. Right. And so the only thing he can think of is, is my car backfiring, whatever. But, but the back and forth in the original statement wasn't because of those, those backfires. It, those happened while he was filling his tire. Then he starts walking towards the store, and then he starts to come back because he says he thinks it sounds like his car is dying. Personally, in that part of the story, I don't quite believe. I don't think anything sinister. I don't think that either he didn't realize or, and this is based on, and we're going to get more into this this weekend, um, the whole thing. Either he didn't realize this was happening or just didn't want to share it because it just doesn't sound very tough and manly maybe. But I think he heard it, thought, as a backfire. Was that a shot? What was that? Decides to go check it out, then says, oh, maybe I shouldn't check it out. Oh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I think the car dying is, I think it's bullshit, basically. But the shots is what I want to talk to you about. So while this is happening, Pilo is across the street. Yeah. And people said, well, if he heard the shots, Pilo must have heard him. He couldn't have been shot while he was there. But there's a couple factors. One, Mike and I experienced. We stood in that exact location. Right. Do you remember when I was on the phone to Tammy? While we were standing there, trying to lay out the crime scene. Yeah. And remember, I couldn't hear. Right. Traffic. And, yeah. There was a lot of traffic going by. Mm-hmm. Um, the noise pollution there is terrible. Yeah, it's, it's loud. It, it's, it's not a terribly busy intersection, but there's not a minute, two minutes. That was middle of the day. I'm sure at night it's a little slower on Easter. Yeah. But there's constant cars going by, both directions, back and forth. And just the way that area is laid out with the, 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 the sound really echoes and bounces around, it's hard to hear for starters. I also want to make a note of, it's just now occurring to me, that Danny Martinez's car was running 
as well, which also adds a, another bit of sound to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also we have so we have the noise pollution muffling any sound coming from mm-hmm. the gas station. You have the distance. So you've got Martinez, who's probably fifty feet from the building, if that. If that. Yeah, fifty feet. We have Pilo all the way across the street. That's probably closer to 200, 250 feet away. Yeah. You got the noise pollution, but this is the important thing too: is the shots took place inside of the store with the doors closed, which yeah. of course is going to muffle. I don't know that you know this yet, but the murder weapon was a twenty-two. Okay, so I, I did not realize that it was a twenty-two, but a twenty-two has very little noise when it's fired. Right, there's I not mean, much powder there. there. there it's there a is, very small round. It's a very small projectile. There's not a lot of powder. They are very quiet. I mm-hmm. mean, you'll still hear them. There's a crack, but they're not loud. They're not what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, even if it was something larger, as you see on TV, you hear this loud thunderous crack. Mm-hmm. That's not what it sounds like. Right. I, I shoot constantly. We're, we're constantly out shooting. If a person is in a house or in a building, you know, you have that muffled there. Mm-hmm. The officer, you know, at this point, do we know if the officer was in the vehicle or out of the vehicle? He was out. So he parked. He parked short of the credit union okay, and then approached on foot. Yeah. So he was out in the open. Yeah. There's no, I mean, even, even a larger caliber, you know, you wouldn't necessarily suspect what it is. You know, there, it is a right. pop, but it could be anything. You mm-hmm. know, it could, it does sound like a car backfiring. It sounds like a firecracker. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many things that your brain is right. filling in that you don't really think that it's a gunshot. That happens right. a lot. People hear gunshots all the time. Don't it, know what it, it is. And you don't know what it is. Right. And I think that had it been a 12 gauge, mm-hmm. that would have, got, I think all the way across the street, that would have got his attention. Like he would have heard that for sure, yeah. even through the building, might not know exactly what it was, but if you're approaching an armed robbery and you hear yeah. a, but the percussion from a 22 is absolutely nothing, nothing. I mean, the, it's very, very mild. Yeah. To put it into perspective, there's no exit wound, and we're going to get into yeah. the medical evidence Sunday too, but there's no exit wound. I mean, this, this round went four inches into Bill's body and stopped. Yeah. So people shoot, um, when people shoot, they have ear protection on and typically people that shoot 22s don't wear ear protection. Right. There's not that violent percussion that's going to damage your hearing. Mm -hmm. So with it being muffled, you're not going to hear it. Right. There, like I said, there is a slight crack to it, but it's, it's not a whole lot louder than like a BB gun or a pellet gun. Right. And that's, and that is, to me, it makes sense that as I've shot, you know, we use, we use 22s for target shooting all the time Mm -hmm. just for fun. and. I know that I, I think it's reasonable to assume that Martinez would have heard the shot, but not known what it was. Exactly. Because you, I think you described it exactly the way I would a 22 to me. I, so also to put this in perspective, I grew up next to a gun range. Mm-hmm. My parents' property is literally butts up to a shooting range. And so we, we, you, you learn to pick up the different types of guns that are being shot. And, there's like the boom of of like a black powder gun or a or a shotgun, and then there's a really loud kind of bang that goes with a with a rifle, but but a twenty two makes you use the word crack, and that's exactly how I would describe it. It's mm-hmm. kind of a crack, you know. Yep. And so with the muffling, but the proximity that that Martinez was to the building, I think that it's it's fair to assume that he would have definitely heard something. But might not have known what it was, yeah. Which would explain kind of the confusion. He's what was that? He starts to go in. He comes back. He starts to go in. He's not, you know, he, he's he's a little because on the on the contrary, a car backfiring three feet from your head is loud, yeah, real loud. Obviously, he uh, Pila would have heard that, and it would have it would have probably scared the shit out of out of uh, Martinez while he was standing there. 
But I also, so I think it's reasonable that Martinez would have heard something. Yeah. And he said he did hear two cracks. Bill was shot twice, two shots. And Pilo, and I think it's reasonable for Pilo across the street not to hear anything. And I agree. I, and I think to me that really, I believe that at this point in the investigation, and then we got a long way to go, but I think that Bill was shot right in that moment between, say, 820, 821, right then when Pilo was arriving on the scene. And also, I just wanted to point out, too, I think somebody on the fan page mentioned either of those two people seeing a flash after the gunshots. But with the lights on in the gas station, there probably wouldn't be a flash, right? Right. And that was the other thing. So you, the, the, for starters, the muzzle blast that comes off. So for those of you that aren't familiar with, with guns, you know, when you shoot them, especially in the, in the dark, there's fire that comes out the end of yeah. it. You know, it's a quick flash. But again, a lot, that's, that's the, the gunpowder continuing to burn as it's coming out the end. A a twenty two round, and we don't know obviously if it was a magnum or a, which is a longer round or um, a standard twenty two. But I mean, you're this is not enough powder to fill up a thimble. I mean, it's a it's a tiny amount of powder. There's not much muzzle flash. But like Mike said, the lights were on in the store, and the parking lot is not well lit. But along the doorway, right in front of this, you know, there's there's lights pretty bright all the way around there. So it's not like it was a dark building where you would have seen that flash. I don't think you'd have seen it. Yeah, and and I don't know the the layout necessarily of the store or what the store looked like, and it's gone now. But if you typically look at a gas station, I know I know you said the windows were boarded up from a car coming in, right? But any other windows typically have posters, signs. And they did, you know. There's stuff to see through, but there's still stuff in the way that you're not going to catch every single thing that's happening through that window. Yeah, definitely not. And actually, that's Bill's mom. Like went on a crusade, and I believe she was successful in getting. Uh, an ordinance put in to where these gas stations would, and Steve Vogel mentioned that when he was on episode one, but uh, to to keep the windows clear okay. so the witnesses can see in and the attendants inside can see out to see if there's any danger because uh, she attributed, a lot of people do, I, I tend to agree, part of how this was able to happen was a building that is normally surrounded, is the walls are glass, windows all the way around, like a lot of gas stations, you had one entire side of it was completely covered up with with uh, plywood. The other side had a bunch of posters and stuff in there. You could barely see into the window. Yeah. Butch says, the no-sales lead me to believe this may be the order. The first no-sale. Bill has a gun on him and hits it to get the cash. He and or the killer notice a gas customer, and he's told, quote, close the register and act naturally. Second no-sale. The $3 gas sale rushed to get the customer out of the store. The third no-sale. Reopening the register to get the rest of the cash or cash the killer thought should be there. What are your thoughts? Well, we ha- we have some some issues there in the fact that so the times of the no sale were eight oh six, eight twelve, and then eight fifteen. The only one of those no sales that could be Gutierrez is the eight oh six one. So that kind of flips that particular sequence of events on its head because one of the reasons why Gutierrez back in ninety one, but that literally the next day knew that it was about 8.05 when he was there because he remembered leaving somewhere at 8, getting there at about 8.05, and he remembered seeing the clock when he walked into his house, and it was 8.12. So when the eight, the second no sale was pressed, Gutierrez, according to his statement, was already home by that point. So the first one, I think, has to be the, the $3 gas purchase. You know, And I, I, don't, I don't think there's any reasonable other explanation for that. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I mean, there, we know there was a $3 purchase, we know it was at 8.05, and we know it's not on the tape. Yeah, it seems very reasonable. Yeah, I, I think that's got to be that first no sale. Uh, a listener, I I just printed it out before we recorded. 
Karen on the fan page, she put together a kind of a timeline that I think is is something we should talk about and see what what we what you guys think. So she says she thinks the perp pulls out a gun, but Jerry walks in. So he holds his position at the end of the counter. Billy's nervous, hits the no sale for the three dollars, and there was no need for him to lift up the the drawer, the till, like you mentioned last week, Zach, at eight oh six. Then Jerry leaves, and then the perp pulls the gun out again. And then eight twelve, we have that no sale. She says Billy's nervous, gives him everything in the drawer, closes the drawer. Perp is angry, not enough money, wants to see what's under the drawer. Eight fifteen, he pops the no sale the third time. Perp removes the drawer, and that's when at eight sixteen, Billy pushes the silent alarm, and then. The purpose removing the drawer, looking for bigger bills, sees him, pushes the alarm, and shoots him. So that is, I think, more reasonable. But this is my issue with that. That makes sense. So to kind of recap, she's saying the perp is already in there, or Fender's already in there with the gun on Bill when Jerry walks in. That I actually agree with. And my, my, my current working hypothesis, I think that that person was already in there, and that person had already shown Bill the gun. And for whatever reason, he was there threatening him. Bill was already scared, hence the nervousness when Jerry walks in. Jerry walks in. I agree with the 806 is just trying to get Jerry, whether it's just to get him out of there because he's afraid for his own safety, or even the guy could have said, get him out of here, don't say a word, or I'm going to kill him, yeah. whatever it was, hits the no-sale, clears the store. And then, so the next one is when he then hits the no-sale to open it up to the second time to actually give him the money. Here's my problem with that. It makes sense on paper, but that is a 6 minute difference. And there's no witness statements, nothing in the canvassing, nothing on the register, nothing to indicate that anyone was at the gas station, period, during those six minutes. So if he's already got the gun on Bill, Bill's already afraid when Jerry walks in. He opens the drawer, gives Jerry the money, six minutes you know, pause this and 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 stare at your clock for six minutes and see how long of a time that it's is. It's a long time. It's a really long time. And typically, and we have we have a guest coming very soon that's going to give us a little more insight into this. But based on my interpretation of and a little bit of study of these types of robberies, it's in and out. the 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 offender, especially if they're a chronic offender, doing things like this often, repeat offender, they know that the way to get what you want and not get caught is all about efficiency and speed. Get in. You have an opening when no one's there. Take the money and get out. Yeah. I don't see any reason for a six-minute gap before that no sale. And I think kind of what she's getting here in some of the discussion following it was, well, this kind of cuts against the idea that this was something for a motivation other than burglary. To me, I think it cuts the other way. I think that that six minutes is very telling. I, yeah. I don't think that this person very likely was there to rob the cash register. Yeah. Now, I didn't think about the six-minute gap preceding that, but I was thinking about the two-minute gap between the, the final two, mm-hmm. and I was wondering what the timestamp actually is, because it says, what what is it, 8? 8.12 and then 8.15. 8.50, so it's a three-minute gap. Right. But is it really three minutes? Because it, it could be 8, 12, it, and 58 seconds. Yes. Yeah, and 8, 15, and 1 second. Yes. So it'd be 2 to 3 minutes, or it could go the other way. Yeah. It could be a 2 to 4 minutes. It absolutely could. But that's my my wondering is what the actual timestamp is. Uh-huh. Because, like I said, I mean, 3 minutes is a long time. But if it's really just, well, even 2 minutes is a long time. I was thinking it was 2 minutes. But if it was almost 1 minute, that's a, you know what I mean? That's a lot different. You know what? I wonder if, um you know, because I put those times in for the script. Let, let me... 
Let me hit pause real quick. And Zach, I'm going to have you grab a piece of paper from my desk. Okay, so we just pulled up the actual document again, and I was hoping that it maybe it had seconds on it, but I already kind of had that same question, and it's, it does not. They just say that they're military time. We have 2006, no sale. 2012, no sale. 2015, no sale. So no no seconds added on. And and why we were off, Mike, you, you were saying something? The six-minute gap between the first two no sales is what's really kind of bugging me. If we go back to Danny Martinez putting air in his tires... Is there any chance that he, that uh, that first no sale could have been Bill making change for him to put air into his tires? Well, that's a really good point, and it's according to Danny Martinez, no. And I and at this point, I have no reason to believe that he was lying on that night. I have a lot of reason to believe he was lying years later, which we'll get into. And there's a whole different string of circumstances with that. But uh, I don't think he had any reason to lie that night about that unless he was actually involved and I don't think that he was actually involved. You don't kill somebody and then go out and sit in the parking lot putting air in your tires afterwards. Yeah. But you know, one question and this is, you know, I'm a little disappointed in the investigation from what I'm seeing so far because I'm trying to look at these documents and crime scene photos to get a picture better picture of the scene and there's no indication anywhere that I found so far whether you had to pay for the air. You know, if it, in in 1990, 91 some people on the fan page had said something about, well, sometimes you had to go in and pay for the, them to activate it. I've never seen that. That may be a thing. Yeah. Typically, what you had is either just free air, which was pretty common back then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you still find free air now. Yeah. Or uh, just a coin operated, put some coins in. So could have been him coming in to get change. Uh, but that would mean Danny Martinez is lying, and this whole story is flipped up onto its head. And then another thing that I think about is... And I think we've covered this, but what if it was the perp at the first no sale asking for change of some kind to be able to look at the contents of the drawer, walk around, hype himself up, psych himself up before he pulls his gun out? That's a possibility too, but I again, I don't think that's just just behaviorally speaking. Uh, it seems to me that the perp was already in a position of power and, and control over Bill when Gutierrez walked in because of where he was standing and Bill's nervousness and everything. I don't. I don't see this as the guy that's you know walking around thinking about Robin. You know, I think he'd already. I, I think he's already showed Bill a gun at that point. You know, w- when he walks in and does that. So, but anyway, getting back to the no sales and the timing of them. I think. I think eight oh six is very likely Gutierrez, and then the eight twelve is that first no sale. You know, maybe it's somebody making change. There's no indication that that happened. Um, I think. I think it's absolutely connected to the burglary. You know, to the to the to the robbery and into the murder, but I, that's the thing that I have a hard time reconciling is why the six minutes. And then you have another, like you said, two to four minutes somewhere in that range before it's hit again. I think it, it's 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 reasonable that he hit it and then he's like, no, there's more money in there. Open that up, back back up. But again, even two minutes between those two, or four minutes on the outset. Why so long? Why is this guy spending this much time there? And then, then that's eight fifteen. From our discussion earlier, I think it's 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 entirely likely. I, in my opinion, I would say ninety percent sure the evidence indicates that Bill wasn't shot until eight twenty one. So what what could be happening there? Yeah, you know. And so I think that. At this point, and again, this is just a hypothesis. You know, we're, we're we're just starting, and we're starting to work on what is the evidence we have right now telling us. For me, I think that this could be something more like someone coming in 
threatening Bill. Maybe Bill owed someone money. Yeah. And he's threatening him. And the no sale could be here. You know, I, I'll just, I'll just pay you. Let's take this, whatever. You know, and, and then he gives no. There's you owe me more than that. There's got to be more. He opens it up again. Whatever it was, there's still another five minutes of discussion or something happening. There's no medical evidence indicating that there was a, a brawl happening in there. That was my next question. I was going to ask if there yeah. was any physical altercation. Well, we're going to get into the medical evidence a little deeper. I actually can't speak too thoroughly on that yet because I haven't. I'm, I'm in the process of studying it. Uh, but based on what I'm seeing at a glance from the crime scene evidence and the medical evidence, there certainly wasn't a 20-minute brawl happening inside yeah. of there. I, you know, I There's not w- shit knocked off the counters, nothing like that. Well, I almost wonder if, if the, the first of the two closer no sales to each other the last two yeah the last two i almost wonder if the first one is bill opening the drawer to possibly pay the suspect person back on whatever right there's not enough money in there they kind of get into an argument and maybe the the perp knocks bill down Mm -hmm. opens the drawer himself he sees how to do it right opens the drawer himself to check that's when bill goes for the alarm right it could be the the alarm according to steve hill when we talked to him sounds like it was located kind of directly under the register yeah but that's what i'm saying yeah if, if you if the perp you know it wouldn't be a huge altercation right you know just a, a forearm sure. knocks him down to get to the register himself then bill goes for it maybe that's when it could be but it, but then that's still 816 yeah and it's 821 when he gets shot you know it's like what well, at this point if you've taken all the money you've got you know you've seen the drawer you know what's in there why are you still standing there for five more minutes. And when you know you can't get anything else out of this kid, mm-hmm. why still stay there? Why why that risk? Why take the shots? Now, I've had it. I actually had a discussion with somebody on the fan page a couple of days ago who said, well, what if Bill shot him because he knew the guy or didn't know whatever it was? He shot him when he saw the police coming or because he pressed a silent alarm because he didn't want him to be a witness. But my response to that is it didn't matter if he pressed the alarm or not. Bill was still a witness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so you have to know that after you leave, then the police are going to come. You're going to call the police. Police are going to come. They're going to do a report. You still have a witness, which means that offender knew going in, this person is going to be able to identify me. And so, so were they planning to shoot him when they went in? Like, like none of that makes sense. Like this, this just to me is just, is just saying personal, personal, personal. There's something more to this than a $90 gas station robbery. I just can't imagine yet, from what I know now, I just can't see why a, a, a burglar pulls the trigger. It doesn't make sense. Jennifer wants to know if it was uncommon to prepay for gas back in the 90s in the Midwest. Now, I, from my experience, it wasn't... I, I feel like I remember in the late 90s when that started to be a thing. It was never a thing. Like when I started, so I'm, you guys know I'm 40. So I started driving in 95 or so around there. And, and when I first started driving, you just, you didn't, you, and I live in a small town in the Midwest. Yeah. Still do. You pull up and you pump your gas and then you'd go in and pay. There was no, there was no credit card pay at the pump there. I don't ever remember having to prepay until early 2000s. Yeah. And then, and then, then you started to see gas stations that would make you prepay on certain, pumps the ones that were like right by the road or only after dark or things like that but back in the i don't think it was i mean i I wasn't in bloomington but but no you know we talked to steve hill who was the guy that worked the the shift right before bill 
and so no, I can tell you, no, they did not prepay for that because I remember him telling us we weren't asking that question, but he was telling us how it worked that they had two different machines. So they had a machine that was like the meter for the gas pumps, and people would come in and they would pump the gas, and then they would look at that. They were, the 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 cash register and that meter weren't connected, so it wasn't like a, like now it's kind of automated. Yeah. So they would look at that and say, okay, pump two was three dollars. Then he'd move to the register and hit boop 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 three dollars and take the money in and out. So no, it was definitely not a prepay. Wendell wants to know: Did eyewitness Gutierrez have a law enforcement or military background? He wants to know this because of his detailed description of the guy in the store. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Gutierrez. I'm trying to find him. I, I did just get some interesting information about Gutierrez uh, that we'll be talking about on Sunday, too. I'm still trying to sort out, but I don't know if he has law enforcement or military. He does seem to be a couple of the, either the guy's full of it or he's just an extremely detail oriented person. Yeah. Because, and it, was, it wasn't Wendell, but somebody else was had the same type of comment saying he was using phrases like the subject, you know, that sounds like law enforcement type. I don't think he was law enforcement, but I, I was reading it when he says, I know that this happened at this time because I walked in at 812 and I know, you know, he had, he had all these little markers that he was timing by. And of course, this is a guy that's got nothing. I mean, he, he volunteered to come back in and say, hey, I saw a guy and I, it stuck in his mind that this, something was weird was happening when I was here. And he didn't know what time all this happened. He just told him what time he saw it. But so I'm seeing a guy that's very, very detail-oriented. And so he gave a very detailed description of the subject. And I, I don't know. I would be curious because it is, you know, eyewitness identification, we all know, is is the weakest form of evidence ever. It's completely unreliable. It's not completely unreliable, but it's certainly not the best reliable form of identifying someone. But he noticed things. Let me put it this way. When, anytime I'm looking at like a composite sketch or a, a witness description, I'm looking at things that people really would notice. You know what I mean? So like what logo was on his hat? You're not going to, if you walk in, something weird's happening, you're looking, you're most, you're not going to notice the logo on the guy's hat. You mo- might remember he was wearing a hat. You might remember the colors. And that seems, and that's what we see from Gutierrez. It's a dark colored hat. And there was like a yellow or green, some kind of logo on it. That's about what you would expect. Yeah. I would expect when you look at him and you see a big scar on his chin, that that might be something that catches your attention. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that depends a lot on how close you are to someone too, though. I mean, a scar at a foot away is so much less visible than if you were right up on top of it, you know, right real close to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's why we know from the layout of the gas station, you can see, I mean, he, it was tiny. So there's the counter that's maybe three feet wide where you stand in front of to pay. And it ends right there. And then the guy was standing at him. So he he was a foot, 18 inches, maybe two feet away from him face to face. And the guy's acting weird. But it also tells me that it was probably a pretty pronounced scar. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you look at the guy and something's weird and you look at him and see, you, you wouldn't notice, a, you know, a pimple on his chin, but a big scar. And he notices the earring too. You know, th- those are things I think you might you have recalled, especially if you're detail oriented. You know, when you get into distinct facial features, you know, those composite artists, I think they're they're pretty good about drawing out from you, like think back, close your eyes, did it look like this? What did his eyes look like? So I I don't think you can always just take and here's the the drawing and it looks just like the guy. I think somebody that was that close and that recent of a time when he made it is um a good chance for it to be a pretty accurate drawing. But there's things like he was tall. He was very skinny. He had long, skinny legs. 
Um, you know, as Martinez described the guy, not so much as tall, but he remember he's 30, 50 feet away, sees the guy moving, makes an assumption about how tall he is, but he also noticed the guy was skinny, thin guy, really skinny guy. So, so like that to me is reliable. The facial feature thing, you know, we mentioned earlier with the composite, the guy had a very, very skinny face, I guess is the way you would describe it. You know, the pronounced jaw or uh, cheekbones and then, and then really thin cheeks and kind of a big square chin, you know, so. Anyway, what I'm getting at when we take the more so with Martinez than with Gutierrez, which remember Martinez is the one outside, Gutierrez is the one inside. I think anything with the face, we we can rely on Gutierrez, at least for the most part. I think when you're talking about build and clothing, about is about all we can get from Martinez. Yeah. At his distance. And I gotta agree on the on Gutierrez being a detailed person. You can tell Obviously, you don't really know what he saw, but if someone tells you, or I, I notice this a lot, if I ask someone what time it is, I can tell if the person's detail-oriented or not. If they say it's 8-12, you, you have an idea that they pay attention a little more. Right. Where someone, a lot of other times where people go, it's 8-10, it's 8-15. Right. They just look. and they About just, quarter after. Yeah, they don't my say son, an actual My time. son is like that, right. Quentin. He, he, he drives me nuts sometimes because he'll be like, what time is it? And I'll be like, oh, it's 8-30. And he'll be like, no, it's 8-28, dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> shut up. You know, mm-hmm. like, but you can tell that. I, yeah. I notice that too. A lot of times, when asking people what time it is, mm-hmm. if they give you a exact time, yeah, those they tend to pay attention more. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think that the Gutierrez description is something that we should really be leaning on right now. I think that was that was that was probably. I think the evidence indicates that very likely was the actual offender. And I think that there's a lot that we could glean from his composite, even if it doesn't look exactly like him. It's it, it's probably pretty close. I think we're looking for a tall, thin guy with an earring and a scar on his chin yeah. for sure. And with yeah. that composite being done days afterwards and not eight years afterwards, right? And and to, and to be fair, I don't know where the exact date, but the, the composite wasn't done then. I think it, I want to say it might have been a couple weeks later. Okay, but still, it's, a, the composite. it's still fresher than eight years, nine years down right. the road, right? Melanie says, I think in the first episode, you mentioned Gutierrez saying you saw Bill and the man arguing as he was walking toward the building. Does he also mention that when he was re-interviewed years later? And did he go into further detail on it? I guess there's, this is a good place to clear up some confusion because we've got two kind of sounding Hispanic names at the same time. And, and people, I mean, even Mike's been struggling keeping the, the people yeah, straight. Definitely. Um, so uh, that's not exactly what happened. But to make clear, so you have two events. At 8.05, you have Jerry Gutierrez is the one that is inside the store. Later, it was kind of told to me that he saw them arguing, but in his statement, he actually didn't see them arguing. So that was kind of, that's as we're learning more, There, you know, you, you get what people's perceptions were and how stories kind of get changed, not intentionally over the years. The actual report was they weren't arguing the guy was standing around the corner, almost behind the counter, and and Bill was very nervous, and Bill didn't speak to him at all. Nobody said a word. That was Gutierrez, inside. And then you have Danny Martinez was the outside. He was in the car uh, at the air pump putting air in his tires. He's the one that went back and forth and back and forth. He never saw Bill that night at all, according to his statement. He only saw, in the initial statement, he saw the man, he heard the pops, and saw the man back out of the door and then run around to the east side of the building back towards the alley. So Gutierrez inside, face-to-face with the guy. Martinez outside putting air in his tire. Saw the guy go around the corner. Daphne says a couple things that stick out to me so far. Two people stated that the man was wearing a leather jacket. 
one of them stating it was a Harley leather jacket. I don't know anyone who would spend the money on a Harley jacket and not own a Harley. Being the wife of a Harley rider, I know those jackets aren't cheap at all. What do you think? Also, you'd be considered a real poser if you're walking around with a Harley jacket <laughs> riding your Honda. Right. And that's a thing. I, cause I was not, I never bought a Harley jacket, but I used to ride a motorcycle, never owned a Harley, could never afford one. So I had like a Honda shadow. And I always knew, I always, I used to look in jealousy of the cool Harley jackets. Like, I cannot do that. If my friends <laughs> that ride see me wearing a Harley jacket without a Harley, they're done. Yeah. Dunzo. So, yeah, that's something that I noticed. Now, what wasn't clear, I don't think it's very clear that Gutierrez saw him wearing a Harley jacket or a Harley type jacket. I do know in his follow up interview on April 4th, the detective, Detective Crow, I think, went through a Harley magazine with him, a catalog, and had him flip through and, and point out the jacket that he, looks like the one that he saw. Yeah. So it was, so, so I, I just, it's never clear. Things aren't documented super well. Yeah. I think that's just a vague description. I mean, I, I obviously don't know, but I think it's a vague description. That's just like the jacuzzi. Like if you talk about a jacuzzi, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, not, not all hot tubs are jacuzzis. Right. Jacuzzis is a name but, brand. But people say that. Right. Right. So it's the same thing with that jacket is is it could just be a leather jacket that resembles one. Right. And he called it a Harley jacket. Sure. And and that's, I wish, there, there's a lot of questions like, you know, back to, did you have to pay to use the air? Yeah. Yes or no? Is there a picture of the air? You know, was he saying that it was an actual Harley jacket that said Harley Davidson on it? Or was it just a Harley type jacket? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I think it's, well, Mike and I talked a little bit about this yesterday too. My initial thought was, well, this guy's definitely prob- probably someone who rides a motorcycle as well. But it was the early 90s uh, when Mike was just a, just a wee lad of two years old. <laughs> um, but in that time, it wasn't out of the ordinary for people to dress in that way. Yeah. That didn't have, you know, there was guys I went to high school with that drove a Chevette that had those motorcycle jackets with the kind of fold over, zip up type of, you know, with the belt around the bottom. So I, I don't even think we can say that the guy rides a motorcycle. I think it's likely that he is a, that, that he has a motorcycle, but I don't think that we can say that for sure. And we've kind of already talked about this, but her second question is, the man putting air in his tire said his car backfired when he was walking toward the gas station. Why was he walking toward the gas station, and why did he stop and not continue? Well, and again, I know we did already cover this, but just to kind of clarify, we're using these follow-ups to you know, make sure everybody's in full understanding of what's happening. Martinez's statements changed wildly over the years. So for me, I've, I've, I've just found and, and, and read his initial, original, that night statement, and it said that he heard the backfires while he was putting air in his tires. As I, I, I mentioned earlier, I think, and it's just a hypothesis, but I think that whether consciously or subconsciously, Martinez knew something was up. Like, he, he knew something was wrong, and he was hesitant whether to go investigate or not, you know, I should go in. Oh, what if something's happening? Maybe I should go in. I think, I, I really think, I, I can't reconcile him turning back and forth two or three times with, oh, I thought my car was going to die. Do we know when he says he saw the person leaving? I mean, is it is it before he's turned? Is it after he's made the, the back and forth motion? Do we know? I, I want to say it was walks towards, thinks his car is dying, turns back, realizes it's not dying, turns back again, sees the guy come out, sees the guy. And this is the part that I think actually happened personally. I think that the guy came out, saw him, 
And he, as the way he describes it, I think he was surprised to see me. And then he just runs around and leaves. Which again, I guess that leads us back to, I can't wait to get into the crime scene and the medical evidence and then develop a profile on this because I really want to know. But you know, when, I'm, I, when we're thinking about behavior, so here's a guy who, say we're worried about him uh, having a witness. As far as why is he killed Bill, right? Worried about having a witness. Bill's providing with for the money, whatever it is. He's willing to shoot and kill Bill Little after he has the money. But then he walks outside and sees an eyewitness right there, staring right at him, even if he was 30, 50 feet away, and makes no move to shoot that guy. Make any tight. He just he he does what you'd expect someone to do after they committed a crime, which is to flee immediately. He just gets out of there, distances himself from the crime scene. So if he does it then, why doesn't he do it when he's inside, when he could have been caught with no crime at all? Also, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't brought this up yet. I'm hoping I can get a better grip on it for Sunday's episode, but there was the other cop that was there too, Paul Williams, was pulling up to the intersection of Linden and Empire at about the same time Pilo's there. And it's super confusing. It's almost like they're having a pissing match in the reports over who got there first. The mm. dispatch rec- the bi- dispatch tapes seemed to indicate it was Pilo. And then William, because William pulled his car up there, stopped for a few seconds, and then pulled in. And and he pulled in, as I think he said, as Williams, as Pilo was going in the store, which would mean Pilo was there for a couple minutes probably before him because he's across the street. He's calling in the license plate. He sees, he finally crosses, tells Martinez to stay put, tells that car to go away, the truck, and then goes in. Because there's some question, why didn't Williams see the person leaving? Why didn't Williams hear the shot? Mm-hmm. But I don't think Williams was there until after all that occurred. All right, Catherine says, how far along are we in victimology? And do we know what Billy was up to in the months before he was murdered? We're getting much closer to having a better grip and understanding of Bill's victimology. We do have some more information, some very interesting information from some of his family members in some statements from back in 1991 and some other people that knew him and even some police reports. We're going to get into all that when we do wrap up victimology in two days in Sunday's episode of Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Follow-Up logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash TruthAndJustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. 
You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can also connect with Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, Stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Hey, everybody. Oh, my God. Cut. One second in. (laughs) (laughs) To empty out the register. Next. Done. Okay. Playing hardball. 42 minutes in. Playing hardball. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.